As I indicated in the prayer, um, this morning we, we are going to take a, a week away from the Gospel of John that we've been studying through. And I, I think it's vital for us to, to um, in, the, in, the, in the midst of all that's taking place in our culture, in our country right now, to address these things from a biblical perspective. Um, I, I think it's vital for us to understand what is occurring from a biblical perspective so that um, we're able to be encouraged and we're able to be salt here to this earth and, and, and think properly on the state of our union right now. So with that being said, we're going to go to a couple different passages, and I want to begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> I'm sure that most everybody here is aware of all that's occurred, but for the sake of everybody, we've seen homosexual gay marriage being legalized throughout various states in the Union over the last several years. And it's gone to the Supreme Court and Supreme Court in a five to four decision declared that homosexual marriage, gay marriage would need to be legal across all states. For us as Christians, I, I, I think it's just so important that we have a biblical understanding of what has occurred. And I, I don't want to presume that all of us are on the exact same page. I've watched all that's taken place in the last few days, and I've seen people who profess to be believers putting gay pride things on their their Facebook or messages like that on Twitter and, and rainbows that are on there saying we support this. People who I know well who profess to be Christians and those that have said things very harsh towards these things and, and even being in a place of... of feeling so discouraged where we're at as a country. In light of that, I, I want to look at Romans chapter 1, 18 to, to begin by looking at what happened this week with the Supreme Court. What occurred? Beginning in Romans 1, 18, it says this. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Just stopping there briefly. Powerful, powerful section of verses there. The wrath of God is being revealed. The, 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 those words are devastating as far as the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. We talk about the wrath of God, it's not something in, in which it's like he's a little upset about these things. The wrath of God is, is such that there will come a day where people will cry out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from his wrath. And so God says here that his wrath has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So you picture truth that's there, truth that that we have in God's word, truth that we have in our conscience, truth that he has displayed in creation. And God says that then man is pushing down that truth. They're suppressing that truth. The truth is there. It's been clearly revealed. And man pushes it down, wanting nothing to do with that truth. 
Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Yes, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. So we see the situation here. It began with, with people suppressing the truth and not wanting to recognize the things of God and his holiness and his holy attributes and who he is. To God saying that they, they knew him. They didn't glorify him as God. They weren't thankful he says that their foolish hearts were darkened. They professed to be wise, but God just says they became fools. We see that God tells us here they've changed the glory of God into um, an image made like corruptible man. In our country, we've seen radical changes take place in less than the last century. If you think of back in 1925, there was the Scopes trial, um, often referred to as the Scopes monkey trial, in which at that particular time, it was illegal to teach evolution in any state-funded school. Um, and so there was this particular substitute teacher that John Scopes, who was accused of, of doing that, and, and it became a big trial, and they found him guilty of, of, of teaching this, and he was fined $100, which was um, be considered now to be about $1,300 or so um, in this particular day. And it's determined that, that, that evolution could not be taught in this public school. Um, and this was a major trial at that particular time. From there, we found that in 1958, there was the National Defense Education Act that made it so that um, they, they were finding that the United States was falling behind, particularly the Soviet Union, in, in what was taking place in, in schools. And um, at that time, they started pushing to put evolution into the textbooks again within the school system. We, we've seen a, a radical shift from there to where we're at today, to where creation is not allowed to be taught in most schools. Um, teachers that even would say problems with the theory of evolution are fired. Um, a time where where the idea of, of, of creation is just considered to be absurd in our particular school systems. And so you see that, that 
there in, in Romans chapter 1, it, it, it makes it clear that they professed to be wise, God says, but they became fools. They started to, to, to take the glory of the incorruptible God and they made him into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here we see the state of the union over our lifetimes, most of our lifetimes. Like You see that they've gone from a place of once holding God as glorious to thinking that they're wise, but becoming fools, and coming to a place of making it so that we are just animals like all the animals. We've evolved just like all of them. We're no better than any of them. No scientific proof as far as that you could ever get something from nothing within the evolution theory. No scientific proof that you ever have it be where dogs don't produce dogs or kangaroos don't produce kangaroos or horses don't produce horses. We don't see anything scientifically that shows that transition from one species to another species. They just give it millions and millions and millions of years and say somehow it happened. And so they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It says God gave them up to uncleanness. He gave them up to the lust of their hearts. To dishonor their bodies among themselves. Then it goes on in verse 26 and says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and deceiving in themselves, I'm sorry, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So, God, what does he do? He gives them over. Gave them up. It's his wrath coming upon our society. His wrath that's come upon various societies throughout history. His wrath is one in which God says, okay, I will give you over to do the things that you are doing in the direction that you are going. And he says they're vile passions. Brothers and sisters, if, if, if you're in a place of wondering... Well, I don't know if God makes people gay or not. I mean, everybody says that God makes people gay. If you're ever looking and thinking about your experience with people and saying, well, I know this person and he was feminine from the time I I knew him even as a little kid. Or she was more masculine from the time I knew her as a little kid. Or, Or why would anybody choose a lifestyle like that in which their family would look down upon them. They had to be made that way because if not, why would it be that they would choose? Why would anybody choose that? And those are the kind of arguments that we hear. And, and for many of you, it may have been convincing. 
You look at your experience and you see all that's taken place. You listen to what everybody says. And as a result, you've come to conclusions. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I exhort you by the full authority of the word of God that that's not, that that's not right. That that's not true. You, you, you look at the text here and it says, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. That's powerful. Those words, may those words be our authority when we look at this particular debate. They go against nature. They go against what God had created. It's vile passions. It's a choice that they make. It's passions that they make that are sinful. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And so we've seen that to be taking place. We've seen this radical shift that has occurred in our country in most of our lifetime to where um, it's far different than what it ever was before. If you remember back to 1969, where there were the Stonewall, there was a Stonewall raid, um, a gay bar that was there in in, in New York and. Police were coming in, and there was mafia stuff that was related to it, and many other things, and money that was being laundered, and a bunch of different things. But the police came in, and um, there was a a protest that took place in which there was well over 100 people that just basically said, like, you're not going to come in here into this gay bar and harass us anymore. Um, the police ended up all being inside the, that particular bar and barricading themselves. And it was that point that, that there was just this really hard stand that had not taken place up until that time um, as far as the homosexual community uniting together and, and being a place of uh, this isn't going to happen anymore. Um, to where we are at today... Think of just even June 29, 2009, where President Barack Obama brought 300 gay activists into the White House to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the Stonewall riots. So he brings 300 people into the White House for that purpose. Um, He said this, President Obama said this, the story of the Stonewall protests which took place 40 years ago this week, when a group of citizens with few options and fewer supporters decided they'd had enough and refused to accept a policy of wanton discrimination. And two men who were at those protests are here today. Imagine the journey that they've traveled. So he brings two of these men, and there is a radical change that's taken place since 1969. During this address, President Obama made fun of people like us when he said those that still hold fast to worn arguments and old attitudes, um, the idea that homosexuality is still wrong. 
And he brought a, a, a man named Frank Kameny up to appreciate him. And this man is, was in his 80s at the time, a gay rights pioneer. And be noted that, that this particular man said things like, in 2008, he said, um, let us have more and better enjoyment of more and better sexual perversions by whatever definition, by more and more consenting adults. If bestiality with consenting animals provides happiness to some people, then let them pursue their happiness. Let us have more and better enjoyment of more and better and hard, harder core pornography by those to whom such viewing provides happiness. This man spoke of our God, the God of the Bible, as a sinful, homophobic bigot who needs to repent. So President Obama brought this person up and said this, quote, And so we're proud of you, Frank, and we're grateful to you for your leadership as he honored him. So there is a radical change that's taken place to today where the White House is lit up in rainbow colors. Um, It is being celebrated that the sinful act of, of, of homosexuality is now legalized and considered to be marriage, true marriage, uh, across our land. And I find this to be the result of God gave them up to vile passions, to do things that are not fitting. It's just the result. It's the result of all of it being God's wrath coming upon us. He says... In verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So they didn't want to even retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want to even think that there's a God that exists. In their minds, they're atheists. They want nothing to do with God. They don't believe in God. They don't want anything to do with him at all. And so God says here that he gave them over to a debased mind. Once again, his wrath. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That is last week. So it went from being tolerant being called to be tolerant to being called to embrace to being called to celebrate the homosexual lifestyle. And so it says here 
at the end of Romans chapter 1, not only do they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. They approve of it. They say it's okay. They say it's legal. They say it's right. And I don't, I don't think that there's a text that could be more clear of describing what's taken place in our lifetime, what's taken place this last week, what's taken place when we see God say, I'll give them over to these things to do things that are vile, to do things that are unfitting. And that's what's happened. And so how do we react to these things? What, what, what do we do? I, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. How do we think on these things? I pray that we would be those that look and say, God is still sovereign and he still is on the throne. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. There's nothing that's too hard for him. There's no one that can stop him. There's no one that can thwart his will. He does all things according to his purposes for his glory. He's still as sovereign today as he was before the Supreme Court made that decision. The Supreme Court's going to make that decision. You have so many unbelievers that are on the Supreme Court and in their minds, they hate the fact that there's someone bigger than them that would say, this is wrong, don't do it. In their minds, they say like, no, we are the authority. We are the final authority. We could say what's right and what's wrong. And they want no desire to submit to his lordship or to even retain God in their knowledge. We shouldn't be surprised when they do that. That is the natural inclination of mankind is to run away from God and to hate him and to not submit to his lordship. They want nothing to do with his holiness. And so for us, we ought to look and say, this tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, those that are covetous, drunkards, revelers, extortioners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the result in our heart should be, God help us to love people like that and to pour the gospel into them. God help us to take the truth of the power of the gospel and bring it to a lost and dying world. We're not going to expect to live in a country in which they take God's word and hold it up and say, whatever it says in here, let's do that. We are by far the minority. We're not the majority. Why it is that door that leads to destruction? There's many that go that way. Narrow is the one that leads to everlasting life. There's few that find it. We got to look and just recognize that 
We are to be in this world, but not to be of this world. We're just pilgrims. We're sojourners. We have the precious gospel to bring to people. And God help us not to be those that, that are hateful towards homosexuals. Or anybody that's fallen into any kind of sin whatsoever. But to be those that joyfully proclaim the gospel. To hear this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and then to know that we can go from there to say, if we have the gospel. We can tell you that it's sin. And yet God came to forgive sinners. We could tell homosexuals, God says that what you did is sin. When you go through this list, how many people would look and say, oh, adultery? Bad. I mean, I, I, the Supreme Court justices, if you were to take them and say, like, yeah, you have any problem with your spouse? Just going out and being with whatever guy, whatever woman that they want? They're going to say, like, no, we have a big problem with that. But yet, that's a part of the list. They would look and say, stealing, bad. Stealing's bad. We don't want to let people just steal whatever. Being a drunkard, that's bad. You shouldn't be doing that. There's programs for that. There's ways they would want to help in that area. Being an extortioner, you'll go to prison. But also in that list is... Fornication, idolatry, homosexuals, sodomites. And looking at that and God saying, and such were some of you. I guarantee you in a room like this, in a sanctuary like this, there are people and you read through this and say, I was one of those things. I was three of those things. I was all of those things. But I was washed. God has done a radical work in my life and I was washed. I was washed by the blood of Christ. We, we read what we read in, in, in Romans chapter 1. But if, if you remember earlier on, just a few verses before that section, Paul's there and saying, as much as is in me, as much as is in me, I desire to, and I'm ready to preach the gospel. With everything that's inside of me, I just want to preach the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. When we look at all that's taken place in our society, may we be like the Apostle Paul and say, with everything that's inside me... I'm eager, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The just shall live by faith. There's a foreign righteousness that's put upon our account. We're washed, such were some of us, but we've been washed, we've been sanctified. God has done a radical work of causing us to be born again. May we go to a place of just being eager to proclaim the gospel. As as I was looking at at these things um, and just thinking 
thinking about them. Um, Corey Marsh sent me a text to say, it reminds me of Ezra chapter 9, what's taking place. So will you turn with me for a moment to Ezra chapter 9? Let's look at this. Here, Ezra is looking at the circumstances. Ezra 9, verse 1. And he says, when these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people and the Israelites and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Egyptians and the Amorites. So the people of Israel and the priests, they have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. Verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons. So that the, the holy seed is, is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So when I heard these things, I, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Do you hear his response? There are people. And let's take this to the church now. This is referring to Israel. But there are people who, they've not separated themselves from the peoples on the earth. They're just acting just like them. They're, they're doing the same things that they've done. They, they take their kids and they give them over to the wives of those that are unbelievers, that are not a part of God's covenant people. And so he's, he's saying, when I saw these things happening, I, I tore the garment, my garment and my robe. I plucked out the hair on my head and the beard, and I sat down astonished. That, that was me this week, except I didn't pull out my beard. Um, I pulled one hair, you know, but no, but I didn't, I didn't. I didn't but the idea of just, I'm astonished. I, how do we get to this place? And brought back to Romans chapter 1. Just feeling sick and just sad for the state of our union. I think it's appropriate to grieve over these things. I really do. I think it's appropriate for us to look and not be like, oh, it's okay. But to respond with just like, this saddens us. May God help us to faithfully proclaim the gospel, to be salt to this earth, to be a light that sits on this hill and just shines for the valley that's below us and throughout our nation and even to the uttermost parts of this world. May may we be astonished at the sin. It says in verse 4, Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. I sat astonished. Until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting. And having torn my garment and my robe. I fell on my knees. And I spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And this is what he says. His prayer. Oh my God. I'm too ashamed and humiliated. To lift up my face to you. My God. For our iniquities. Have risen higher than our heads. And our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Does does that not describe us 
I mean, you, you look at our nation and where we're at, millions of abortions taking place. Covetousness that's just... People just wanting what they can't afford to have. When I was born on September 30th of 1972, our nation had $427 billion of debt. When I graduated high school, we had $3.2 trillion in debt. When we started this church, our country had $7.9 trillion in debt. Today, we're at over $18.2 trillion in debt. In the last 10 years, less than 10 years, from 7.9 to 18.2. We, we as a nation spend $2 billion more than what we have. We go into $2 billion of debt every day. Every day. Every taxpayer in this room owes $155,000 today to pay the debt that we currently have. I think the average person in America makes like $25,000 a year. We spend more than we have. We have a nation that is just declining in the way that they think, in their morality, the stuff that's on TV, the stuff that people accept and parade and do these things with. Our, our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we've been very guilty. For our iniquities, we are kings, or ones that would like to be kings. And our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is this day. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God. To leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place. That our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us. To repair the house of our God. To rebuild its ruins. To give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Now we could just... just Say, what has he done for us? Saved us. Radically saved us. Washed us of all of our sins. Made us adopted into his family. Given us joy forevermore in his presence. He's done incredible things for us. For a nation, he's blessed us. But verse 10 says, and now, oh our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their iniquity. Now, that's just God just saying, like, hey, just so you know, this is what it's going to be like where you go. And just so you guys know, this is where you live. You live in a country in which the land that you're entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their impurity. It says there, now therefore do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, 
that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. The children's ministry meeting taking place today, the, our desire is to raise our kids up to delight themselves in God's word and what he commands, to love Christ, to treasure him above anything this world has to offer us. May, may our children's ministry leaders just pour themselves into that every week and may us as parents and us as members of the church who don't have kids that desire to be a blessing to those that do have kids, may we just together, our sons and daughters, may they not be like this land. And after that, all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you are God, <clears throat> since you are God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break your commandments and join in marriage? with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant. As it is this day, we are before you in our guilt, though though no one can stand before before you because of this. The end of this chapter says, but we are left a remnant. That remnant is important because that remnant is taking God's people, that remnant that continues. There's always a remnant. It takes us to Christ, our Savior. The remnant continues to Christ. The remnant continues on to us. You, brothers and sisters, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but you are now the people of God. You once had not obtained mercy, but you've now obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts which war against the soul. That remnant has continued to this day. And may the exhortation go to us, let's be different than the world. Let's be radically different in the way that we think than the way that those five justices on the Supreme Court thought. Let's be radically different in the way that we are so that we would shine here so brightly for the purpose of God's glory. May our marriages be such that those that are in the world just covet our love for one another. May our families be such that we live in such a way that we are light and we are salt and we are different. May the words that come forward from our mouth be those that are just filled with the gospel and with Christ and who he is so that they might know him. So that they might be those where they sit here in this congregation and say things like, in such were some of us, but we were washed. May we be like that. May we hold strong to God's word. May we not compromise on these things. May we not ever come to a place of, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but may we just look and by the full authority of God's word say, no, this is sin. But the good news is that Christ came to forgive sinners. So let's tell them that it's sin. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Let's proclaim the gospel and see sinners come to repentance. Praise God, Dr. Juventine just shared that every month there's people being baptized as they come to know Christ in the church in Uganda. May that be us. May there be such a a fire that is lit under us that we would just have a passion for the gospel and for the lost and for God's people. We see a nation that is just literally just sliding down into a place that we never would have thought it would be.
and yet it's there. It is in desperate need of a church that is solid, that is strong, that holds to God's word and doesn't compromise on God's word and is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. May that mark us, may that be us, and may we be those who see ourselves as sojourners and pilgrims and may we abstain from the fleshy lust that war against the soul until the Lord returns. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to have such a biblical mindset that we would just bleed Bible. We would think biblically. We would not be influenced by the world. That we would just abstain from fleshly lust, which means just not consuming the crud of this world as it comes to us in TV and books and movies and conversations with those that would just desire to pull us down. May there be such a unity here in the body that we're building each other up and that we're sharpening each other and we're pouring the gospel and your word into each other, Lord, that we would just learn to to be people who treasure you and love you and love your word and delight in your commandments. And make disciples of those that come to faith and to our kids who are here in this church. That we would have a congregation that multiplies in a sense of passion for Christ and proclaiming the gospel and seeing you bring those to salvation. May those that are here that look at the list and say, and such was I, I was those things. May we just praise you that we've been washed that we've been cleansed, that we've been sanctified, that we've been set apart and made your own special people. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would not be discouraged. We would not be like those that have no hope. When they call evil good, Lord, I pray that we would look and just cling to your word and cling to you, our sovereign Savior, who is in control of all things. And may we just be used mightily for the purpose of your kingdom and for your glory here in this land and to the uttermost parts of this world. We thank you for the perfection of your word and the power in which you speak it, the clarity in which you say things, so that we don't have to wonder whether what we're saying is true or not. Every one of us read the words ourselves this morning, and we know the very will of God. May we now submit to that. Be delighted now in the praises of your people, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen.